we're live. Kevin McCarty, what's going on, my man? How's it going? Great to be here. All right. So, um, you trade, what, are you like a, so are you a professional Bitcoin trader? Is that like what you do every day as a source of income? What's... Here's, the, here's the story. This is, this is a great way to, to start the podcast off. The thing about Bitcoin is that there's a phenomenon going on where there's a lot of young people like me who just bought Bitcoin for fun. Right. Right. Like, you know, this. like, remind me how old yeah. you I'm 21. Yeah, I'm 26. So our yeah. generation, we just, you know, buy Bitcoin. We're yeah, well, I, I remember seeing prices. Bitcoin when I was like, you know, 15 years old with my buddies. And we were like, dude, how can we get like some acid? And we were like, oh, we can buy it online with Bitcoin. And like, we never went through with exactly. it. But that's how I first learned about it. That and was then, uh, the greatest marketing campaign for Bitcoin ever. Because <laughs> like 90% of the people probably got heard from it from the Silk Road. Like that's extremely common. So... They, uh, so, so yeah, so there's a lot, a lot of people like myself who just bought Bitcoin for fun. Mm -hmm. And if you buy Bitcoin and you buy, you know, a, any a fair amount, and then you stay in the game long enough, you're going to make money. Right. And so you get this kind of weird situation that I found myself in where suddenly you have a lot of money, you know, mm -hmm. not to, just to, you know, not to stunt, but to put it right. lightly yeah. when it, it, when it goes from being just this, you know, fringe little investment you know, because for me, I bought and held for a very long time, and I didn't even think about it. I didn't even, you know, use a portfolio app. I didn't know you, how if, much it was worth. I didn't care. Mm -hmm. what if I you don't mind me asking, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to ask like how much you have, but what at what time period did you buy the majority so of your I, holdings? I started buying in late 2016. Okay. Yeah. So like right before, it, right before it started to like really take off. Yeah, exactly. And it was just it, the first purchase I made was at seven hundred dollars, and it kind of I didn't I didn't even look at the price just because I I understood enough about the fundamentals mm -hmm. to understand that this is a you know highly speculative, possibly not going to work, but if it does work, it's going to take like ten to twenty years. Mm -hmm. So I was still working. I was working in the oil field at the time, and I you know had a good job. I had a good salary. I, my living expenses were nothing. I was living in a studio because I hate paying rent. And I was just taking whatever money I had. And it, it literally, I would you know pay off my bills. And then if I had extra money, I would either start throwing it at my student loans or just throw it at Bitcoin. You know, I would sometimes buy stocks, but mm -hmm. it really, uh, Bitcoin's more exciting. Like it was much more exciting for me. So I just oh, started Oh yeah, you can get a 50% return instead of a 5% return. Well, it's not even that. It's the, the political aspects of it. So I started buying, and then, and the construction kind of got louder. I'm not sure. Yeah, there it is. Let me know if it's bad. But the uh, here, it's so uh, it's getting buying. a little bit bad here. We can uh. Okay. Oh, never mind. It just stopped, so we're good. No, they're, they're doing like a jackhammer. Okay. All right. Then let me pause it. Is it better? Yeah, it's better. It's still a little bit there, but you know, it's we're just gonna have to work around. It'll be all right. Yeah. It's it's punk rock. This is what we do. There you go. So uh, where was I? What was I talking about? Um, you just bought Bitcoin, you bought it for like $700, you bought it over the stock market because you enjoy the fundamentals of it as opposed to the stock market, and so you just kind of bought it for fun. Yeah, and so... Well, not for fun, story, but because you, I guess, enjoyed it more. Pretty much, you know, my story was something that a lot of people had where it was just a hobby. You know, mm -hmm. it was just something that you thought the chances of it actually exploding are like one in a million. Right. I didn't watch my portfolio, I didn't look at the price ever. Mm -hmm. I just, if I wanted to buy, I would buy it and then I would put it on my ledger and I would forget about it. And what ends up happening is if you do that for long enough and you don't panic sell like a lot of people do, 
you end up making a lot of money. So it got to the point that this what was this fringe investment that was supposed to be a nest egg is now this you know huge asset that I own. And for someone who was you know 24, 25 at the time, that's a big fucking deal. It's kind of overwhelming. Yeah. You're kind of like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Right. So I didn't really do anything with it. I didn't. I didn't make a single trade. I only really started trading it uh, late 2017. I left my job in August, and then it got to the point where you know everything was blowing up, and you know I had friends who had been doing altcoins and doing ICOs for a few months, oh, and man. I was. Hopefully it didn't get burned too bad. I just know that so many of those ICOs just dropped to absolute shit because there's no substance to them at all. ICOs were killing it. Are you kidding me? No, I mean, I remember at the time they were totally killing it. Yeah, you could buy a shit coin and it'd go up 80% in like 48 hours. You could buy an ICO and because the ICOs were structured differently, you could get in the pre-sale or they would be a token sale. It'd only be for like an hour. Right. And the tokens would be on Binance the next day for five times what you invested. Right. And it was insane. I started seeing that, and I was like, maybe I should start doing this. Mm-hmm. So I started looking more into it, and then, you know, it's it's a rabbit hole from there. Oh, so yeah. you're doing this, you're doing that. Yeah. And uh, so for 2017, I didn't, I still wouldn't consider myself a trader. I was a trader, but okay. I considered myself an investor. Right. And because the reason I didn't consider myself a trader is because I didn't look at charts. <laughs> and... I just, if something had strong fundamentals or there was an announcement or there was something cool coming up, I would go onto the exchange. I wouldn't look at the chart. I would market buy it. And then if it went up, I would sell. And if it went down, I would, you know, exit the position. So that worked well. I I did pretty well in 2017. I mean, everybody did pretty well. (laughs) And I don't want to come off as some bull market genius, but I did pretty well. And then 2018 happened. And yep. you start losing money. And at first, you know, you're like, okay, all right, you know, it'll come back. I believe in the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. I know all this stuff. You know, it, it's great. You know, to, you're still high off 2017. You're in the hangover stage, as some people are calling it. I definitely and, was. I, uh, I actually, when I was working construction with my former boss, I, uh, you know, I was kind of like telling him about all this cryptocurrency stuff. And he was super impressed with me because he was like, oh, shit, like you're not... <laughs> Just like some dumbass who has to haul around wood all day. He's like, you actually know about computers and shit. And it was really exactly. funny, actually, because I was working for a, a supervisor that wasn't like the, the owner of the company. And I had used, the, actually, the thing that impressed him the most is I used the word algorithm. And he was like, holy shit. He's like, say that word again. And I was like, <laughs> algorithm. He's like, what's that? And I was like, it's like a step-by-step process for like working through, you know, something to like get to an end result. Exactly. And he was like, oh shit, like I got to introduce you to like the boss man, boss man. And I was like, what? And so I quickly, huh? You're promoted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I like immediately became the IT guy and so forth. They had me like setting up the Wi-Fi in the office and shit. And so uh, I was telling him about crypto and he actually like threw in some money and we bought um, like four uh, GPUs to build an Ethereum miner. So I got that up and running. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. But it's like pretty much as soon as I got the miner done done and built, like mining Ethereum off the GPU was like not profitable anymore. But, I mean, Ethereum Classic, I think a lot of the miners, uh, I don't mind, but I you know, obviously talk to people. I think most of them do Ethereum Classic or Monero most of the time, depending mm-hmm. on your GPU. But, anyway, we're getting off topic. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, fundamentals, did that, worked well. Then I started losing money. Mm-hmm. And 2018 happened. And prior to this, you know, I was in the oil field, and then I was doing uh, affiliate marketing and, you know, advertising online. 
And it got to the point that I was winding down all of my advertising to crypto full time, more or less. You know, I didn't decide, you know, I didn't announce to the world that I'm doing crypto full time. It was just that I was winding down anything I was doing so I could spend more time in crypto. Right. Because it got to the point where, you know, I could make the right call and make a few thousand dollars in an hour. And right. it's like, yeah, uh, this is where the money is right, right now. So I started doing that and then it got to the point that I was losing money. And then it got to the point that, you know, the entire market was turning down. And that's when I was like, I was like, hold on one second. I was like, maybe I should sell some stuff. Oh, yeah, that probably would have been, a, maybe I should have some cash. Maybe I should take profit. And, you know, from there, it just, you know, went down the rabbit hole of actually trading and learning how to look at a chart, learning how to organize a portfolio, learning what a stop loss is and learning all that stuff. And that's been the story of 2018 is that I lost a lot of money. And so I had to really learn how to actually be a trader. And I'm still on the journey now, but it's 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 amazing how much I've learned in a short time. And it's also amazing. I, I can't believe how much money I made in 2017 with being an idiot. You yeah. Know, like it's it's hard to take a lot of people who made money in 2017 seriously because everybody stupid. made money in 2017. Stupid. Everybody made money in 2017. So, yeah, it was the, great. Yeah. You just wake money. up and look at your phone. You'd be like, oh, great. I'm up four hundred dollars today. Like, awesome. Nothing went down. It nope. was all going up. Yep. And it was absolutely ridiculous for a very long time. So I think, you know, that's the thing is that, you know, doing crypto or doing anything in crypto right now is not as popular as it was. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing is, is that this is the time. Like, this is when you do it. Uh, dude, you know? I can't even tell you. It was uh, back in 2017 and like, you know, uh, probably October through November or October through December, you know, when it was like really at its peaks, Bitcoin was anyways. I would have like, you know, people text me like almost every other day and be like, yo, man, like, what do you know about Bitcoin? Because I was always like tweeting about it and I'd be like, you know, this is like the shit. And I was super into it. And uh, as soon as it dropped off, you know, I'd get like maybe a couple texts being like, hey, like, what do you think Bitcoin's going to do? But like people just immediately stopped asking. And it's like, oh, like, oh, yeah, those are the bag holders. Like, those are the people oh, that yeah. aren't going to make any money because they're only interested in it when it's at its peak. Oh, yeah. Well, that's I mean, that's kind of what happened. You know, I didn't decide. I'm going to be an influencer. And I, I hate that term. Mm -hmm. I was just a guy who I, I had Bitcoin and then, you know, I was mostly active on Facebook back then. And I just tweet, I just post buy Bitcoin. And then suddenly, yeah. you know, everybody knows that I'm in it. I was getting messages all the time. How do I do this? What is going on with this? Mm -hmm. And then from there, I wrote a blog post that was like, you know, everything. I built a website just to host this, you know, blog post that was, hey, when you come to me, I'm not going to hold your hand. Just read the blog post. There you if go. If you don't read the blog post, I'm not going to answer your questions. Yeah, do your own research, DYOR. Exactly, because everything you need is in the blog post. I took the time to write this blog so beginners could begin. And then it just became, you know, one thing after another. More people were asking about it, and I wanted to become more vocal about it. And now here I am doing podcasts about it. So, yeah, it was, dope, a, it was a crazy time, that's for sure. That's dope, man. Well, I don't want to put out uh, too much of your personal information that you may not be comfortable with, but where you live now. I'm in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Right. And so is, I, will, I will disclose that. Cool. Now, is that for tax purposes? Yes. So in Figure. Estados Unidos, we have terrible capital gains taxes. And this is something that I, I wish everyone would pay attention to because the other common story about crypto investors is that everybody is dodging taxes. It's yeah. a fact. Nobody, it's the, you know, big elephant. Nobody's world. paying taxes on their crypto, man. Taxes. Nobody. And here's the thing. Yes, it's very hard for the government 
to figure it out. They are, you know, way scrambling. There's no way they're going to figure it out in Man, the next few years. I've watched, yeah, I watched a couple of the uh, congressional hearings back when I was working construction. You know, I just kind of like have the day yeah, to myself sometimes. Yeah. yeah, and I'd watch the congressional hearings where they're talking about crypto. Oh, yeah, wasn't Rubini on that one yesterday? He's a piece of work, dude. I was seeing some of his <laughs> tweets yesterday. He was like, crypto is the white supremacist, libertarian, fascist space. I was like, that's a contradictory statement right there. There's no libertarian fascists. But anyways, yeah, they're just watching these people try to discuss it. It's like you have zero idea what it is that you're talking about. It was astounding. But then I guess that kind of just goes to the rest of politics as well. They're all kind of just in their bullshit. But. And, and, and crypto's even farther. But, right. So, yeah, the thing is, is that, yes, they don't understand what's going on. However, they can. Okay. I don't, I don't know specifically how long it is, but there is, it, I don't know, it's not statute of limitations, but it's like, they can, if they find that you didn't pay taxes on something, they mm -hmm. can go back. Right. The next thing is that everybody thinks, oh, Binance isn't an American exchange. So they're fine. Well, the first thing is that everybody used Coinbase to get there. Right. Okay. And it's widely known that Coinbase reports to the IRS. Coinbase is very friendly with the government because they have to be because they're an American-based company. And right. they have the bit license. So the bit license is the New York state regulatory approval to deal with New York. Mm. And in order to get that, you have to be, you know, completely vetted, open books, all that stuff. Right now, only like Gemini, uh, Coinbase, Circle... I want to say Poloniex. Some um, other ones have it. It's only a list of nine exchanges. Yeah, there's only a couple fiat gateways here in America. Exactly. I know that uh, Cash App does it now. I believe that's through Square. That's yeah, Circle. That's Circle. Circle. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else is it? Uh, oh shit! What's the Stripe? I think. Yeah, Stripe. They let you do, but they're owned by Square. I want to say. I think. I think they're in the same parent company. But either way. So those guys are in bed with the IRS. That's mm -hmm. a fact. Yeah. Then the finance stuff, it doesn't matter that it's a foreign entity. And it's because of uh, FBAR. You know, I'm, not, I'm not the perfect legal person, but I know a lot of, of the general laws. And FBAR is like foreign something reporting. And if you are an American citizen and you have, don't quote me on this, but it's roughly speaking, this is what it is. If you have $10,000 in assets Anywhere in the world, it has to be reported. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's break that down. Ten thousand dollars, which is not not too much in crypto. Right. In assets, okay, it used to be in cash. So if you had a Swiss bank account, you technically had to report it. Right. But now it's assets, assets is anything where the value that can be sold. Anything, and it doesn't matter if it's lines of code or a house. If you can sell it, it's an asset. Yeah. And so technically, if you have ten thousand dollars. In Binance, you got to report that, technically. And the next thing is, oh, well, you know, Binance doesn't do KYC. They don't actually know it's me. Well, jokes on you. Actually, they do, okay? Because Binance, you know, specifically requires passport for level two verification to pull out. I think like two Bitcoin is their limit. Yeah, so most yeah it's two Bitcoin. And then once you put in that verification, either with your, I think you can use your driver's license or your passport. Either one, but yeah, once you do that, then it ups to like 100 Bitcoin withdrawal so in a 24-hour period. Anybody who's worth, you know, going after has enhanced verification. <laughs> like, like my passport is all over the place. They know it's me. Right. And even if they didn't, I guarantee you they could track the email addresses used to it. I mean, that's that's, that's kind of get into gray area. But yeah, that, I mean, that's, 
that's just like with anything. If the tax man wants to find you, they're going to find you. Because the government, the one thing they do not fuck around with is their money. They will get the money. And especially yep. considering how many young dumbasses like me have money, they're going to get it. Oh, yeah. There's no getting around it. So, so yeah. So, back to Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is one of the only exemptions you can do for capital gains. Now, in the United States, I, I love the Chris Rose line, which is, as an American, it's my patriotic duty to pay as little taxes as legally possible. Yep. So in the States, they make million, they have books of tax laws, and it's our responsibility to pay as little as possible because right. they create these rules so that other people can have loopholes, so we should exploit it. And capital gains, there isn't much. What the elites do with capital gains and you know investments is they usually do like a trust where they do tax-deferred accounts, like 401ks. Mm -hmm. uh, but that really isn't conducive to crypto at all, and it's really not good for short-term trading. Well, so I learned about this exemption in Puerto Rico. And long, to sum it up in you know 28 characters or less, if you move to Puerto Rico as an American and you you know actually live here, you pay 0% on capital gains, period. Right. Now, so that's, for capital gains tax, sorry to interrupt, for capital gains tax for paying it, um, don't you only have to pay that when you say, for instance, like if you're a trader, when you go from Bitcoin back to cash? See, and this is this is why it's you know confusing. Big gray because area. A lot of people, yeah. So my take is that it used to be considered that because there was the like kind exchange, which is like a it's like a ten ninety exchange. It's a tax law where if I buy a house for a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars and then I sell it for two hundred. But I take that 200 and buy a house with it. I don't have to pay taxes right. because it's a like kind exchange. Right. And crypto. I remember reading about that. Yeah. That we were kind of using that as the same thing because in 2014, the IRS had a publication about Bitcoin that said it was, excuse me, property. So because of that, we were like, hey, I mean, if I you know sell Bitcoin but I buy Ethereum, it's a like kind exchange. So. Many people did that, and you know, as far as I know, it's worked. But in 2017, in December, when Trump announced the tax reform, they changed one word in that, and they changed like kind from property to real property. <laughs> well, I, I think the word is real. It's something along those lines. They literally <laughs> added one word, and real property includes everything except digital property. And then everybody goes, so, oh, shit. So pretty much the consensus around the community is that that's no longer good and that's not happening. Right. And if the market was still raging like it was in 2017, I think a lot more people would be talking about taxes. But yep. a lot of people are reporting losses for this year, so nobody's really talking about it. But I came down here in order to do the tax exemption so I could be clear of it, you know? Right. Yeah. Wow, well, that's incredible. All right, so now, as far as uh, actual trading, I know there's yes. like a couple big platforms for uh, like specifically Bitcoin trading. There's uh, BitMEX, Bitfinex, yes. uh, Coinbase has their exchange side of GDAX, which is the Global Digital Asset Exchange. Coinbase Pro, they changed it. Coinbase, that's right, you're right. They did change it to Coinbase Pro. Um, and I mean, I'm sure there's a couple others that I'm missing right now, but I think those are like the big three. Yeah. So which platform do you use? I do not trade on BitMEX because BitMEX does not allow American citizens. Oh, really? 
according, yes, BitMEX does not allow American citizens, and as an American citizen, I can't trade on BitMEX or Bitfinex. Correct. Right. Uh, so I can't really say which would be a good exchange for Americans to use. Gotcha. But so yes, Coinbase Pro. Those are the exchanges that are commonly used by people, and BitMEX is commonly seen as the greatest the exchange to actually trade on. And the number one reason why is liquidity. If you look at the uh, yeah, they're doing like two billion, two point oh, something ridiculous. billion dollars a day in volume. It's absolutely ridiculous. And if you trade on, uh, you know, I mean, Coinbase is, is decent. Pretty much anything that's Bitcoin USD is pretty good. But the uh, the BitMEX liquidity is just absolutely insane. If you look at the perpetual swap that they have on there, there's you know millions of at any time there's like you know millions of dollars on the active order book, like right, right you know right around where the, the price is. Right. And so traders who trade on Bitmex can get in and out pretty easily because there's so much liquidity, and uh, it's a good thing and a bad thing. But I think you know something that's interesting is that the market Bitmex is a derivatives market. Okay, so when you're trading Bitcoin there, you're not actually exchanging it for cash, which is great as a as a trading vehicle because it's all it's just Bitcoin contracts, it's mm -hmm. Bitcoin you know swaps, but it's not really healthy for the market in my opinion because Bitmex takes at least like 50% of active Bitcoin trading, and you, that's not that's not real. You know, it's not people actually buying Bitcoin with their cash. It's right. not people actually because yeah. Isn't uh, isn't the big thing with BitMEX is like the leverage trading where you can uh, like open up yes. a position exactly. and then you know get you know if it hits a certain price then you get like up to like ten times to a hundred times your return. Well, pretty much. So yeah, so leverage is widely misunderstood because a lot of people see it exactly that as a way to you know get bigger gains. But right. Leverage is better described as margin trading, where you are borrowing money in order to trade. That's, okay. that's what the leverage is coming to. So leverage would mean if I want to trade one Bitcoin on BitMEX, but obviously I don't because I'm American, right. then I could use leverage in order to use less Bitcoin to trade one Bitcoin. So for example, if I wanted to trade one Bitcoin with 10x leverage, I could put 0.1 Bitcoin on BitMEX mm -hmm. and then trade one whole Bitcoin using that leverage. So it you, you're pretty much borrowing money in order to do that, so margin trading is great. It, you know, it's it's abused by a lot of people who don't know what they're doing. Right. But it's great, and it's especially great in crypto because it lowers counterparty risk. So if I want to trade one bitcoin, I don't have to have one bitcoin on Bitmex. So that's the so one thing that's I've yes. that, that like has just been out of my realm. Like I can understand the technicalities. I can understand blockchain mining, like the you know the fucking technology behind that, but. I do not get the trading part. So how how does that work? So it's pretty much that you, in margin trading, you borrow money. Now on BitMEX, it's not technically borrowing. It's just kind of the way that they do the contract. But Bitfinex is actual borrowing. So you or I, if we you know weren't Americans, mm -hmm. could go to Bitfinex and literally lend them our money. So we would say, hey, here's you know ten thousand dollars. Here's a hundred thousand dollars. You can lend. Bitcoin, Ethereum, any assets traded on there, including USD, and you give it to Bitfinex and say, here, take my money, and in exchange, they pay you a little bit of interest on the fees that they get. So okay. then I could go to Bitfinex and say, hey, I have $10, but I actually want to trade 100 So they would, 
you know, loan you the $90 you need in order to trade $100 in exchange for paying funding, which is, you know, the, the fee that you pay in order to borrow someone else's money. So it's a loan. The simplest way to think about it is that you're renting other people's money. Okay. So now say if you open up this position where you uh, you put in $10, they loan you the, under, the other 90 to get you up to 100 Yes. And... Your, I guess it's what what's what it's called is your position getting closed. And your position gets closed, and you don't make that money. Like you don't hit whatever metric you had to get that return. So yeah. So there's the thing is that. So if so I. Do you just that, lose that ten dollars? Do you like have to yes. pay more money because it you depends. lost the other money? So that's what that's what margin trading. You know, simple terms is that you're borrowing money. Each exchange and even each instrument has different margin requirements. Okay. So, for example, you know, if the margin requirement was, you know, 50%, that means that for a $100 position, I'd have to have $50, right? Okay. So, it's not that BitMEX has huge leverage, it's that they have small margin requirements. Gotcha. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you get you got to think about you're borrowing money, you're borrowing someone else's money, and on BitMEX, if you want to do 100x trading, I only need $1 to trade $100. So the flip side of that is that if it goes against you, you lose that margin and your position can get liquidated or covered. Mm -hmm. So with normal trading, if I take my $100 and I buy Bitcoin with it, the only way that I'll lose that $100 is if Bitcoin goes all the way down to zero because I'm buying at spot with no leverage. However, with leverage trading, it's possible that the asset goes down so much that your margin would be worth nothing and that you would have to close out your position because you would have, or you'd have to add margin. So it, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to describe with words. I wish I had like a, a whiteboard or something, right, but to kind of draw it out. Trading, since you have that, you know, you're borrowing someone else's money, it's possible that it goes down and your margin becomes zero, in which case you would have to post up more money in order to do it. Right. So in traditional trading, you get what is called, you know, the margin call. And that's when your margin is reduced to zero and the exchange calls you and says, hey, dumbass, you lost money, <laughs> post up more money or we're going to close your position. BitMEX just liquidates you. They just close out your position. Yeah, so you just, get, done. you just get fucked. So that's how a lot of people lose money on BitMEX because high leverage means that if you're, you know, if I have I do 100x leverage and that position goes down, I think it's like 3%. Your initial margin is worthless, and your position is closed. Right. So Meanwhile, you know, you, it's it's. I could take that ten hundred dollars and buy actual Bitcoin, and then you're only responsible for the normal fluctuations of the price. Right. Which is what I've always done because anytime I tried to like look at the trading stuff, I'm like, ah, that's over my head. I'm just gonna and that's, buy that's and hold. Why, it. That's why a lot of people get leverage mixed up because they view it as a way to make even more gains, which mm -hmm. is dumb. It should be viewed as you're renting other people's money. Right. So people who do trade, you could, that's the thing is you could trade by putting, you know, huge sums of money on these exchanges, or you could use margin and then trade the same amount, but just use leverage to lower your counterparty risk. So that's, that's the big thing. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people trade on BitMEX because, you know, if you, I, I trade on Binance and trading on Binance sucks sometimes because there's no leverage. So if I want to open, you know, a two Bitcoin position, I have to put two Bitcoin on Binance. And right. that sucks. If Binance goes down, I lose that two Bitcoin. I don't want right. to lose that. 
But if Binance had leverage, then I could put, you know, 0.2 Bitcoin on there and I could trade up to two Bitcoin. So that's the big thing is that people, you know, trading with high leverage isn't necessarily bad. It's more so about your position size. So if you trade, you know, a thousand dollar position, you can lose the same amount of money whether you're losing leverage or whether you're not. But you should be using a responsible position size for your account, not so much the leverage. You know, you can responsibly trade 100x leverage. You know, like I don't do it personally, but with Forex, you know, in foreign exchange trading, mm-hmm. they're literally trading on, you know, 0. 0.00, extremely small fluctuations in foreign currencies. So they use, uh, I want to say they use well over 100x leverage all the time right. because that's what's necessary. But they understand how to do position sizing so much that they don't lose much money with the small fluctuations. That makes sense? Kind of. It's still a little bit okay. over my head. It takes a little bit, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I'm sure that's just, you know, me having to do a little bit more research into the whole thing. The number so, one takeaway is just think about position size and not right. so much think about the leverage because right. you can still lose a lot of money if you have a $1,000 position if it's, you know, with no leverage or if it's with leverage. Right. Leverage just means that, you know, you will lose that position a lot faster. So the big problem with leverage is people will just, they'll want to get in a position, so they'll say, like, oh, yeah, I want to I want to short Bitcoin here. And then they go, oh, leverage? Yeah, I might as well use a lot of that. I think this is a good idea. And then they just crank it up, and then they end up losing a lot of money. So for anybody who wants to get into trading, it's highly advisable to trade without leverage for a while. So because there's so much to understand with trading that leverage is just, you know, another thing to know right. that most people should really just stick to trading Coinbase, or even just paper trading until they can really understand position sizing, risk management, stop loss, all that fun stuff. Right. Then they can start saying, oh, okay, leverage. And even then, the people who want to graduate and trade with leverage need to, you know, be real sure of their fundamentals. They need to really understand what's going on. And then the last thing is always understand what instruments you're trading. Like if you're going to trade the swap or the future on BitMEX, you should understand exactly how those work. And unfortunately, a lot of people just dive in and, and don't do any of that research, and that's how people lose money. Right. Yeah. Goodness. Well, so that covers margins. So uh, now, like a long position versus a short position. As far yeah. as I'm aware, I think I understand a long position, and that's where you just you buy it at a certain price and you hold it for a long time because you believe that in the future, like say a couple months or like a couple years or whatever, the price will be higher than what you originally purchased it at. Correct. Yes. Okay, so now shorting, I have not been able to understand. I'm sure it's maybe fairly simple, so but the easy way to break down a short. Is, let's pretend I'm the exchange. I'm Arthur Hayes. I run BitMEX today, okay. and you're a trader. Right. So you want to make money on Bitcoin going down. What you would do is you would, <clears throat> I would sell you some Bitcoin with the obligation that I would buy it back at a lower price. Okay. That's more or less how I understand shorting. So that, you know, normally in a normal market, the only way to make money is if it goes up, in which case you would buy something and then you would sell it back. But shorting is the opposite. Shorting is you sell an asset and then you buy it back later. And then with the exchange, we work out a deal that, you know, I guarantee I'll buy it back later. Hmm. So everything is reversed. So everything's backwards. So you, you make money if it goes down. And you lose money if it goes up. So that's kind of the bulls versus bear wars right there, I guess, is the exactly. longs versus exactly. the shorts. 
And the, the thing about shorting is that, you know, there's been a lot of funny tweets lately with Elon Musk who said oh, that yeah, shorting, that is shorters. shorting should be illegal because, you know, in his mind, it lets people sell an asset and put downward pressure on assets that they don't actually own. You know, you, you borrow it. I borrow that asset from the exchange to sell it and then buy it back later to make money on it going down. And you see that with the altcoins right now. The reason why a lot of altcoins can just fly just off the hinges is because there's no short sellers. You know, straight up, there's mm -hmm. no short sellers for, you know, every shit coin of the week. So there's only buy pressure. There's only people who can buy, and the only people selling are people who are trying to get out of the business. Make profit, right. Exactly. If there were short sellers like me who could, you know, borrow it from the exchange, sell it, and then buy it back later, then there'd be a lot shit coins would be worth less. I, I think so. So shorting is opposite. That's the best way to think about it. You're, you're selling something you don't own and then, you know, working with the exchange to buy it back later. Gotcha. Yeah. Whew. Well, that's a whole process, man. <laughs> it's a lot. It's, and it takes a while. You know, that's why, that's why I recommend a lot of people to just focus on fundamentals of Bitcoin, all that fun stuff first, for a long time and then read the white paper yeah. in that time not even trading paper just reading and understanding what's actually going on in yeah, that's what i was saying i said no i said read the white paper like the bitcoin exactly. white paper read that breaks paper. down yeah, what yeah. it actually and is in that time just focus on accumulating buying a lot of bitcoin at spot just hanging out understanding a little more and then slowly taking you know five percent of your portfolio putting it on the exchange and actually actively trading them right. so usually the best way to go about it gotcha yeah. So how do you feel about the uh, Bitcoin versus Bitcoin Cash controversy? Uh, Bitcoin Cash is a scam. It, it, <laughs> I mean, I could talk about this for like three hours, but pretty much the way I feel about it is that... Roger Burgess hard forked to, to try and cash out some money in his back pocket? They, it's, it's all a scam. You know, we could talk about the technical aspects of it, but the fact that Bitcoin Cash is completely organized around the cult of personality of Roger Ver, Jihan Wu, and even fake Toshi, Craig Wright... <laughs> you don't want that. You don't want, uh, you know, the, what could be the world's global currency organized around scammers like those guys. Right. And well, especially because Jihan Wu, Jihan Wu, for the uninitiated who are listening, is uh, he runs like a massive mining operation over in China. Yeah. And uh, doesn't he control like at a minimum 51% of the Bitcoin cash mining? That's a misnomer. I mean, their uh, Bitmain's pool has a, I want to say it's down to like 30% of the okay. share, but it's the, the note is that, and this is commonly used by the mainstream media, it's the pool that runs it. Pools are like banks. It's like, you know, if you and me have all of our money in J.P. Morgan Chase, mm -hmm. and they say, oh, look, Chase has, you know, 20% of the money supply, that doesn't mean that Chase actually controls that money. It means that the users who use Chase have gotcha. that money, and we can pull out at any time. Gotcha. So the pools, it's just that there's people are software. using those Bitmain miners. Got no, it. Okay. The pool. the pool is a software. Oh. They could be using any hard. I could do it on my laptop. You just plug into the pool software. I got you. It's like a. Pool. Yeah, exactly. there's a couple different mining programs you can download yeah, and like use your. Pool, yeah. There's Bitmains. There's Honey Miner is one. Honey Miner, it's kind of this. Honey Miner is an algo switcher, but it's kind yeah. of the same thing. But they pull it together. But that's what it is. You know, they pool the resources so that you get daily returns on your Bitcoin. So they don't actually control it. But what they do control is their miners, and they control ASIC boost. 
So ASIC boost isn't really talked about too much these days. I've never even heard of ASIC boost. Exactly. So ASIC I know what an ASIC miner is, but... ASIC is a patented algorithm, borrowing your term. Applied specific integrated circuit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So ASIC boost is a, a computer algorithm that Bitmain has. I'm probably butchering the technical details, but it's a, it's a way that Bitmain can mine blocks on Bitcoin 20 to 30% faster than the competitors. Whoa. And it was it's patented, so it's theirs. You know, right. although Bitcoin is open source and all that fun stuff, their technology processes, it's up to them. They can do whatever they want. Right. And ASIC boost let them, you know, 20 30% profitability is a lot. So they the problem with the fork is that with Bitcoin, we are also activating SegWit. So SegWit, segregated witness, mm-hmm. it was, it's a way to, you know, organize signatures and fix transaction malleability so that transactions are cheaper, you can do batching, you can do lightning mm-hmm. network, you can do a lot of fun stuff with it. But the Bitcoin cashers hated that because they instantly lose 20 to 30% of their competitive advantage because ASIC boost is broken with SegWit. Oh. Nobody talks about this anymore. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't even know exactly. that was... So that's probably what's driving the whole war it's between the core and the cashers. It's a lot of it, yeah. And uh, I, might, I might be a little bit wrong on the technical details of ASIC, but it breaks ASIC boost. And so they decided to make their own coin and formulate this entire narrative about Bitcoin so they could have their own coin and they could remain you know, the monopoly that's more profitable than the rest on Bitcoin cash. So, and that's the thing about it is it's like, I saw the, the battle unraveling and I was like, you know, hey, SegWit's pretty cool. And SegWit also is a soft fork. You don't have to opt in to, so you don't have to do it. It's not like they're making you do anything. Right. But Bitcoin Cash was kind of saying like, hey, we run the coin and we want bigger blocks. And you see it happening all the time. You know, the initial fork was like four megabyte blocks. Now, now it's eight. It's, now it's, I want to say it's eight. And I think they're forking to like, 32. Holy shit, like, they're forking again? They, yeah, they, they do hard forks all the time. And they want it to be that they can, you know, have huge blocks, they can pack a lot of data in there. Some Bcasher was talking the other day about how you could, like, upload files to the, the Bitcoin Cash network oh, and be forever there. And I'm like, no, this is money. That's not, yeah, that's not Bitcoin. That's not a peer-to-peer cash network. That's a fucking blockchain with file sharing. So, you know, the hard thing about the Bitcoin Cash discussion is that Everybody, everybody more or less agrees. We want low transaction fees. We want the network to be decentralized. Right. We just have different ways that we want to get there. Gotcha. And personally, blowing up the block size, creating a, their own fork, and also you know keeping the ASIC boost advantage on there, that's not how I see it happening. That's not my vision of how I want it to go. I want it to be that we can have two megabyte blocks. I can run a node easily. It's completely decentralized. It'll never get broken down. We can activate whatever soft work we want. And that's really the vision that I have for it. And Bitcoin Cash is not that. So I've been I've been an anti-B-Casher forever. Now, the hard thing about this is that I'm not inherently opposed to bigger blocks. You know, this is probably controversial, but <laughs> we're going to have to increase the block size eventually. Like, even in the Lightning Network white paper, they even claim that to scale worldwide with Lightning, you'd still need, I think, like 32 megabyte blocks. But that's, you know, the entire Way, world. Right, yeah. And that's, you know, that's and then that's with Lightning. So the blocks are going to have to be increased in a while. Now, that's Lightning Network, 
as I understand yeah. it, is off-chain transactions that get it's verified a, yeah. later? It's a layer two scaling solution. So pretty much what would happen is that I would send Bitcoin from my main address to a lightning address okay. on-chain. Right. So I'd still have to do some on-chain transactions. So that would probably and take, then, you know, the two block confirmations take about 30 minutes to hit over there. Bingo, yeah. So I'd still be using on-chain. But then from there, once it's on lightning, then it's more or less a smart contract that allows you and me to just peer-to-peer -peer just exchange money. Just right, and that's pretty pretty hey, snappy. Does Kevin have this? Yes. Okay, send it over. Okay, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And it's fast. It's working right now. It's fast. The fees are absolutely ridiculously low. Obviously, it's still, you know, it still hasn't been tested. The security model is extremely new. No one's really tried to hack it. It's still a long ways to go, but it's a great improvement, and people should be able to do lightning if they want to, and if they don't, they don't have to. Right. The problem is that the people who didn't want to do lightning decided to just make their own coin, and that's just, you know, absolutely ridiculous in my opinion. Right. right. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Whew. All right, well, um, now... This is why I tell people, you know, just study. There's yeah, a, it's a, there's lot a lot of it. To learn. And the thing about it is even people like myself who've been in it a while. Still so much shit day. you don't know. Yeah. There's, there's still people who are infinitely smarter than me. You nope. know, I never claim to be a... No Nick Zabo. Exactly. I, I wish I was. Yeah. <laughs> and he's been, he's been in the game for, you know, longer than Bitcoin. He was doing eagle and the other... He was, yeah, it was, uh, what is that? There was what? Um, it wasn't Bcash. It was, I think... Bit gold or something like that, yeah. It was, yeah, it was bit gold or e gold. I can't. It's, that was before our time, but yeah, it was, it was before Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. So. That and then he was writing about smart contracts back in like the early '90s, I think. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Or maybe later '90s, but still. I think it was like 1994. Yeah. So what do you think about smart contracts, man? I think they're really. I think once. Oh, you're shaking your head a little bit. Yeah, you you got. Oh, I was gonna say I think that they could be a uh, once they figure out you know, the Oracle solution and they can figure out how to communicate with off-chain data, I think it'll be a very uh, revolutionary technology that'll, you know, just automate uh, many processes that are slowed down by human interaction and, like, yeah. physical papers and shit. Yeah, so to, to sum it up without ranting for, like, 30 minutes, our <laughs> contract, it's a cool idea. It's light years away from being actually used. Right. Because using a smart contract, although it sounds good, it actually increases friction because in a normal contract, it's you, me, and a lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. We call the lawyer, hey, lawyer, I want the agreement to say this. Lawyer writes it, sends it to us, we sign, we're done. Mm -hmm. In a smart contract, you have a lawyer and a programmer, and the programmer has to make sure that the code says exactly what the contract actually says. Right, which so is very hard to do contract, when you're turning legal terms into computer code. Extremely hard, and it's not done very well today. Right. So I think it's cool. I think it's a very long ways out, and I don't really buy a lot of the hype about it today. And the second big thing, it doesn't need its own token, okay? Ethereum, NEO, all these other ones, they, you know, are tutored as smart contract platforms. Mm -hmm. It's absolute garbage. You can do smart contracts on Bitcoin. It's not Turing complete like Ethereum is, but there's script. It's, it's a way to do smart contracts on Bitcoin. And I think that's, you know, probably one of the biggest misconceptions in the space is that you need an Ethereum or you need a NEO in order to do it. And even then, it doesn't need a token. You know, you don't need a million different tokens to power different networks. Like, that's the biggest, you know, misconception in the world. 
And it, the truth is, is that in the end, it's all going to converge around one currency. Right. When there's, there's people don't want to, you know, I do it right now. Like if I have to move tokens, I go to my ETH wallet and I'm like, yeah, it's a it, fucking pain in the ass. It's like, oh man, I got like, 50 different tokens that are all supposed to serve a different purpose, but they're all pretty much yeah. the same fucking thing. And I'm like, I don't have any ETH, so I have to buy some ETH, send it to that wallet, and then use the ETH to do the, the token transaction. And right. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And the solution is that, you know, it scales and you know, the money can flow freely. What people don't, what people miss about that is that when money, when there's no money friction and we can freely exchange every token in the world instantly, money is going to flow always back to the most secure store of value chain. And that's Bitcoin, you know, uh, 10 just, times yeah, 10. undoubtedly. So even if, even if all the smart contracts works, which I doubt it will in its current iteration, the money will still be swapped back to Bitcoin because people don't want to hold ETH. ETH's, you know, monetary schedule, no one knows what it is. Right. They just cut the block reward just, just, just because central planning decided they wanted to cut the inflation schedule. Right. That's absolutely ridiculous. You know, Bitcoin is the greatest store of value we have. And even if... And especially... It'll swap back. Right. Well, especially because with Bitcoin, there's a there's a cap on the amount of tokens that will ever be mined. There's only 21 million tokens that will ever exist. And that's not including the ones that have been sent to incorrect addresses and so forth and are just lost, you know, not to use the term ether, but lost in the ether and are just gone forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, isn't there... Isn't with Ethereum, there's like no cap on the amount of tokens they can make. It's Correct. kind of just decided by, yeah, the centralized planners. Yes, yeah, centralized planning, as I like to call it. They haven't, they, there's no cap right now. I mean, they, uh, Vitalik, the benevolent dictator of Ethereum, has so discussed it's the, it. It's the fiat but, currency of cryptocurrency right now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's controlled by people. It's controlled by Vitalik and his gang of core developers. And you saw it with their recent block reward cut. So they cut it or they have, I think the fork is coming up later this month, but they cut the block reward from three ether to two, and it's just just like that. They just decided, you know, there's they just decided. I don't know what the technical reasons are, but you know, there there shouldn't be any technical reason. You know, if ether's so great, there should be more on the market, right? Right. But you know, you have to think that it's, it's some way that they think they're going to up the price because now that there's less sell pressure from miners, it'll possibly go up but either way the fact that the schedule can just be changed the fact that it can be changed is an issue not even right. an issue that it was changed the fact that it can be changed bitcoin's emission schedule was known the day it launched right and it hasn't been changed and it will not be changed and that is incredibly powerful oh absolutely yeah man <laughs> shit you well know, you're gonna learn today yeah <laughs> yeah man definitely all right, my dude. Well, well I else? do what? Anything else? No, yeah. I was about to say I have to go get some food in my stomach right now. I'm gonna start getting hangry. But uh, I really appreciate the uh, just all the information you've dropped here, man. Is there uh, anything you want to plug up before we wrap up here? No problem. If anybody, I hope everybody enjoyed this. If I leave with anything, first thing, buy Bitcoin. Second thing, hit me up. I'm on Twitter at Big Kev McCarty, M C C A R T Y. And I also have a great email list that I email every day about crypto at BigKevMcCarty.com. So if you're interested, that's where you can find me. All right, BigKevMcCarty.com. As always, give me a follow on Twitter if you're not already, at Jack T. Johns. And uh, again, Kevin, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Rob, pleasure to be here.